6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck begins his teaching on the book of Nehemiah, chapters 12 and 13. Okay, we're in Nehemiah session 5, the last session. There's two chapters left, chapters 12 and 13. So let's just jump in. We've got a few more lists and then an interesting episode that has some ramifications for every one of us that we'll digress on a little bit. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now these are the priests and Levites that went up with Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and Jeshua, Sariah, Jeremiah, Ezra, Amariah, Moloch, Hattush, Shechaniah, Rehum, Meramoth, Edo, Genetho, Abijah, Miamin, Maadiah, Belgah, Shemaiah, and Jehoiarib, Jediah, Salu, Amuk, Hilkiah, and Jediah. These were the chief priests uh, and of their brethren in the days of Jeshua or Joshua. Moreover, the Levites, Jeshua, Benue, Cadmiel, Sherebah, Judah, Metaniah, which was over the Thanksgiving, he and his brethren, and Bakbukiah and Unmi, their, uh, Uni, I should say, their brethren, were over against them in the watches, and Jeshua begot Jehoiakim, and Jehoiakim also begot Eliashib, and Eliashib begot Jehoiada, and Jehoiada begot Jonathan, and Jonathan begot Jadua. And the days of Jehoiakim were the priests and the chief of the fathers, and here's just a whole list of them in the next uh, uh, ten verses. Father Zariah, Moriah, Jeremiah, Hananiah, Ezra, Meshullam of Amariah, Jeho- Jehohanan, uh, and uh, Meliku, uh, Jonathan of uh, Shebaniah, Joseph of Harim, Adna of Marioth, Helkiah of Edo, Zechariah of Genethon, uh, Meshullam of Abijah, Zikri, and of Minian, Min, Moadiah, <laughs> uh, uh, Piltai, of Bilgah, uh, Shamua, of Shemiah, Jehonathan, and of Joiarib, uh, Metani, and of, <clears throat> of uh, Jediah, Uzi, and of Salai, Kelai, of Amok, Eber, and of Hilkiah, Hashabiah, and of Jediah, Nethaniel. Okay. The Levites in the days of Eliashib, Jehiah, and Johanan, and Jedua were recorded chief of the fathers, also the priests, to the reign of Darius the Persian. The sons of Levi, the chief of the fathers, were written in the book of Chronicles, even until the days of Johanan, the son of Eliashib. And I won't uh, bother with the uh, um, uh, subtle, so a couple of small discrepancies in here. The Darius here, probably Darius II, who ruled Persia from 423 to about 404 B.C. And according to the Elephantine papyri, Johanan was high priest until 408 B.C. So it's possible that Nehemiah lived to see Johanan and his sons Jadua become high priest somewhere between 408 and 404. So that's uh, uh, just an observation in passing. The chief of the Levites, Hashabiah, Sherebiah, and Jeshua, the son of Cadmiel, with their brethren over against them to praise and to give thanks according to the commandment of David, the man of God, ward over against ward. And Metaniah, uh, by the way, something I, I didn't bring up before, but it's probably worth mentioning. When they read the law, they had the Levites among the people explaining, answering questions. 
Remember I said they stood there four hours and they read the law and went through all that? The, the way they uh, amplified the details is in, in small groups where they had Levites among them that were available to explain the law as it went. Anyway, verse 25, Metaniah, Bakbukiah, Obadiah, Meshullam, Talmud, Akab were porters keeping the ward at the thresholds of the gates. And there were in the days of Jerichiah, the son of Deshua, the son of Zedak, uh, and in the days of Nehemiah, the governor, and of Ezra, the priest, the scribe. Nehemiah was the political leader. He was the businessman of the bunch, if you will. And Ezra was the priest, the scribe, and the religious leader, if you will. And at the, uh, and at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites out of all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to keep the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgivings and with singing, with cymbals, psalteries, and with harps. And the sons of the singers gathered themselves together, both out of the plain country round about Jerusalem and from the villages of the Netopathai, also from the house of Gilgal and out of the fields of Geba, and Asmaveth, and the singers had builded them villages round about Jerusalem. So it's not just Jerusalem. If we really look at a map here, this, some of these are pretty extensive distances uh, from Jerusalem. So they're bringing them all in from the out country to celebrate the ceremonies uh, and such at the, for the rebuilt wall, singing songs and, and uh, so forth. They, uh, they assemble from the south of Jerusalem, that's Nerafatha, and the East from Beth Gilgal, same as the Gilgal of, of Joshua, today, and the north, towns of Geba and Asmodeth. And uh, I probably should have put a map in here, but I didn't think we knew enough of all of them to justify the effort. But anyway, moving on. The priests and the Levites purified themselves and purified the people and the gates and the wall. Then I brought up the princes of Judah upon the wall and pointed two great companies of them that gave thanks, whereof one went to the right hand upon the wall toward the dung gate. And after them, Hoshiah, the half of the princes of Judah. And uh, now this procession on top of the wall, you know, it, it, it sort of echoes. Do you remember when they were starting how the enemies made fun of them that a fox would be up there and it would fall down, remember? Now they've got full prophet. Can you imagine this? Full, full processions going around the wall celebrating the rebuilding of the wall. And after them went Hoshiah and half the princes of Judah and Azariah, Ezra and Meshullam and Judah and Benjamin and Shemaiah and Jeremiah and certain of the priest's sons with trumpets, namely Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, the son of Metaniah, and the son of Micaiah, and the son of Zechur, the son of Asaph. And his brethren, Shemaiah and Ezreal and Malachi and Gilalai and Mai and Nethaniel and Judah and Hananiah with the musical instruments of David, the man of God, and Ezra the scribe before them. Again, as we get somewhat tedious with these names that we don't relate to, let's realize that they're all here. It's an exhaustive inventory, apparently, of sorts. But it's really a lesson that God keeps records on every one of us. Our names are written in a book. And uh, all that we've done, good and bad, is recorded in a book. And so we need to understand that God keeps records. That's one of the messages that comes through here. Verse 37, at the fountain gate, which is over against them, they went up by the stairs of the city of David and going up of the wall above the house of David, even unto the water gate eastward. And the other company of them that gave thanks went over against them, and I after them. And half the people upon the wall, from beyond the tower of the furnaces even to the broad wall, and from above the gate of Ephraim, and above the old gate, and above the fish gate, the tower of Hananiel, and the tower of Mia, even the sheep gate, and they stood still in the prison gate. Now, I, we had the maps last time, so I'll just keep moving. So stood the two companies of them that gave thanks in the house of God, and I and the half of the rulers with me, and the priests, Eliakim, Messiah, uh, Minanim, uh, Micaiah, uh, Eliodai, uh, Zechariah, and Hananiah with trumpets. And 
Maasiah and Shemaiah and Eliezer and Uzi, Jehonan, Melchiah and Elam and Ezer, the singers sang loud, and the Jezrahiah, their overseer. With my apologies to those that are upset with my mispronunciation of these names, we'll, do the, we'll move on. It's kind of difficult because we're trying to pronounce it from the transliterated English, which is distant from the real Hebrew anyway. So it's a, uh, when you hear these uh, said properly in Hebrew, they would probably be unrecognizable to us. But anyway, verse uh, 43, And also that day they offered great sacrifice and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The wives also and the children rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard even afar off. And at that time were some appointed over the chambers for the treasures. I want to talk about these, cha- these chambers. These are, the, these are wooden apartments, sort of, that are out, adjacent to but outside the temple. I'll show you that in the diagram shortly. Over the chambers for the treasures, for the offerings, for the first fruits, and for the tithes, to gather into them out of the fields of the cities the portions of the law for the priests and the Levites. And Judah rejoiced for the priests and the Levites that waited. And both the singers and the porters kept the ward of their God and the ward of the purification according to the commandment of David and of Solomon his son. And in the days of David and Asaph of old, there were chief of the singers and the songs of the praise and thanksgiving unto God. And all Israel, boy, there is that word again. And all Israel, see, we don't have Jews and Israelites. They're used interchangeably. All Israel. In the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah gave portions of their singers and porters every day his portion and sanctified holy things unto the Levites, and Levites sanctified them unto the children of Aaron. I want you to be sensitive to this issue of Jews, Judah, and Israel being Israel. Some people make distinctions, but those distinctions generally move in the direction of denying Israel its rightful place in the plan of God. These are anti, these can be, not always, but they can be anti-Semitic discriminants. And after the Babylonian captivity, you'll discover that Jew and Israelite are used interchangeably. You need to understand that. Ezra calls the returning remnant Jews eight times and Israel 40 times. So he uses the terms interchangeably. And in at least four places, he says, Ezra uses the term all Israel, referring to the remnant that came back with him. Nehemiah uses Jews 11 times and Israel 22 times. Again, he uses these terms interchangeably. And here he uses all Israel as being back in the land. I'm mentioning this because you keep running into this myth about the ten lost tribes. They're not lost. That's a a myth of of English literature and not the Bible. Malachi speaks of the remnant as the nation and so forth many times. And so Anna knew her tribal identity was the tribe of Asher. She's in the New Testament. She knew her tribal identity. She was not lost. Paul knew he was the tribe. Of, he was of the tribe of Benjamin. He calls himself a Jew and an Israelite, both in, in Romans chapter eleven, verse one. The New Testament: Israel is used seventy-five times, Jew one hundred and seventy-four times, and they're used essentially interchangeably. At the Feast of Pentecost in Acts chapter two, Peter alone says, "Ye men of Judah," in verse fourteen; "Ye men of Israel," in verse twenty-two; and all the house of Israel that he's talking to in verse thirty-six. So, in just a matter of a few verses, he uses all three terms speaking to the group there assembled. And he's not discriminating between Jew and Israel. He's using them as synonyms. So be sensitive to that because you'll discover there is literature that makes that distinction and tries to build that distinction in a way that turns out to be anti-Semitic. Let's move on. Nehemiah 13, last chapter. On that day they read in the book of Moses in the audience of the people, and therein was found written that the Ammonite and the Moabite could not come into the congregation of God forever. That's the general rule. There's a very important exception. Can you remember who it is? 
What Moabite came into the family tree of David, no less? Ruth, good for you, good for you. There may be others. Because they met not the children of Israel with bread and with water, but hired Balaam against them. That's the whole thing there, remember in Numbers, that he should curse them. Howbeit our God turned the curse into a blessing. Now it came to pass when they had heard the law that they separated from Israel all the mixed multitude. That was one of the things bothering God. He told them to be separate, get rid of the so-called mixed multitude. And before this, Eliashib, the priest, having the oversight of the chamber of the house of our God, was allied unto Tobiah. This guy Tobiah was the enemy. Remember, this is the guy that was making fun. He made the crack about the fox in the walls and so forth. He's bad news. But notice what happens is, before this, Eliashib, the priest, having the oversight of the chamber of the house of her God. Eliashib apparently was in charge of what we call the, uh, wooden, the, the chambers of wood. And uh, it was allied unto Tobiah. And he had prepared for him a great chamber where aforetime they had laid the meat offerings, the frankincense, the vessels, and the tithes of corn, and the new wine, and the oil, which was commanded to be given to the Levites, and the singers, and the porters, and the offerings of the priests. But in all this time, was I not in Jerusalem? Nehemiah is talking. So he went back. Nehemiah went back to the king, that his boss, for probably a year or two. But then he comes back. When he comes back, he discovers things are in a shambles. Now bear in mind, they just got through celebrating. They just got through in writing, recommitting themselves to the laws of God. Nehemiah disappears for probably a year, maybe two, and he gets back and he discovers a lot of things wrong. One of which he discovers that these Chambers, that I'll come to in a minute, which were intended to be the storage place for priestly artifacts, things, things that they needed in their work, and their pers- the priest's personal things. It was their chambers, but they were, they, they were supposed to be kept uh, appropriate. But anyway, uh, Tobiah apparently has somehow conned his way into the fact that he has one of these converted to his own uh, uh, use, which is, he's not even a priest. He had no business. He was, he was an enemy of the people. But all this time was I not in Jerusalem, Nehemiah says, for in the two and thirtieth year of Artaxerxes came Babylon, came I unto the king, and for certain days obtained I leave of the king. And I came to Jerusalem and understood of the evil that Eliashib had did, had did for Tobiah in preparing him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. Now let's understand the architecture, because we're going to talk a little bit more about this as we go. Here's a sketch of the plan view of the temple. You have the familiar center uh, you have the holy place in which was which you entered in. This is all uh, uh, we have uh, uh, east uh, east at the bottom and west at the top. Uh, as you as you enter, you go by the Holocaust altar, the where they, the, the brazen altar where they gave their offerings. You had labors of bronze where they washed. You had the molten sea off to the left, which was where they immersed themselves in their ritual cleansing. The priests. Then you enter in the holy place, and uh, you had the lampstands. On both sides, it's not the tabernacle, just had one, but in Solomon's temple they had obviously mullabones. They had lampstands, tables of showbread. Then the altar of incense associated with, but just outside of, the Holy of Holies. Inside the Holy of Holies, of course, you had the Ark of the Covenant and the Mercy Seat as appliances, but there's also something else in the Holy of Holies. What was that? The Spirit of God, the Shekinah. Okay. One of the things that the temple had, and by the way, what's important to understand is that the pattern of the temple was given to Solomon. He built it under the commandment of God. These weren't his contrivances. He was following God's instructions. And there are two pillars. There are two things that are, well, three things in a sense, that are in the temple that were not in the tabernacle. The tabernacle had the Holy of Holies, had the holy place. It also had the laver and the the brazen altar. But what the temple had that was distinctive 
was these two strange, huge bronze pillars. They didn't hold up anything. They were ornamental. And they had names. One's called Yachin, one's called Boaz. And uh, in his counsel and in his strength is what the words mean. And you have this strange place called the porch. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But the main point is around the temple proper, there were these wooden chambers, the chambers of wood. And they were intended for the priests to keep their appropriate materials, their gowns, their offerings, the stuff that was accumulated. This is where these, these were intended for the priests. But apparently in the laxity, Eliashib allowed Tobiah to take over one of these, maybe even expand it somehow, and uh, he, was using, he was operating out of it. And when Nehemiah comes back and finds out, he has a fit. Okay, personal storage for the priests is what they're for, those things are, okay? And so Nehemiah says, It grieved me sore, therefore I cast forth all the household stuff of Tobiah out of the chamber. Then I commanded, and they cleansed the chambers, in other words, they purified them, and thither brought I again the vessels of the house of God with the meat offering, the frankincense. In other words, he purifies them. He probably, that probably means both things. He probably fumigated the place. And he, probably, and he certainly purified it ritualistically, ceremonially, anointing with oil and so forth. And, uh, and then I brought again, and he returns the things that belonged in there, not the stuff that Tobiah had drug in there, which were probably included pagan idols, who knows. Verse 10, I perceived that the portions of the Levites had not been given them. For the Levites and the singers that did the work were fled, everyone to his field. Apparently, they weren't getting the economic support for the Levites, so the Levites are having to go out and work. They were supposed to be serving the temple, but they weren't getting enough income from that to provide for themselves. So the Levite, one reason these chambers are, not, are empty is because the Levites aren't working on them. They're out there at the field trying to earn a living. Then I, and Nehemiah says in verse 11, Then I contended I with the rulers and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. That's probably a double meaning there. He probably gave them the wherewith for there. Then brought all Judah the tithe of corn and the new wine and the oil into the treasuries. And I made treasures over the treasuries. Shalemiah the priest and Zadok the scribe and other Levites, Pediah, and next to them was Hanan, the son of Zuccar, and the son of Metaniah. For they were counted faithful, and their office was to distribute unto the brethren. And then, characteristic of Nehemiah, we've seen him do this at every other verse, he just throws in a prayer in here. Remember me, O God, concerning this, and wipe not out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for the officers thereof. Now, I'm going to pause here. We're shifting books now. Malachi is the prophet in this period. Exactly when there's some dispute, but clearly he's the, the content of the book of Malachi fits the period of Zechariah, of Nehemiah. But there's a very key passage in Malachi chapter 3 that is key to Malachi and also key to this whole attitude that Nehemiah has stumbled into coming back to investigate. Malachi says, Will a man rob God? How many of you, and don't, no, don't give me a show of hands, but I'm just going to ask the question for you to think about. How many of you have robbed God? You wouldn't think of robbing your kids, savings account, or your wife's, or whatever, your parents. Will a man rob God? I'm going to suggest that every one of us, if we're honest, would probably have our hand up. Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me, God says. But you say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In the tithes and offerings. 
Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven, and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Now, I'm sure you've all heard this before. It's a call for faithfulness financially to the house of the Lord, the Lord's word. But verse 10, the more you think about it, is an astonishing verse. Here is God, who generally, one of the the precepts we learn in the scripture, and we're taught this by Jesus Christ, you shall not tempt the Lord. In Luke 4, Matthew 4, where we have the temptations of Christ, where Satan comes and tempts one of those, Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. That's a basic principle. You don't try to put God to the test. That's a basic principle. There is an exception. And this is what's so bizarre about verse 10, because it's an exception to God's general approach. Because he dares you to put him on the spot. God generally doesn't do that. We find that all the time in healing. God does supernaturally heal people. But he does it when he chooses to. Not as some kind of special gift necessarily. And I won't get into all of that. There's, there's obviously very legitimate ones. There's also a lot of uh, maybe well-intentioned but nevertheless nonsense going around. So we won't get into that here. But the point is, God is sovereign. He gives the gifts severally as he will, Paul tells us. But here God does a strange thing. He says, bring all the tithes in the storehouse that there may be in my house. And, and what? Prove me now herewith. God is daring you to dare him. Prove me now herewith, saith the Lord, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. That is off the wall. The question is, do you believe it? This is the answer to all financial problems. And that sounds audacious. But here it is. The God, the, the God of the universe um, daring you to put him on the spot. Bring all the tithes in the storehouse. And by the way, when you give him the tithe, you haven't given an offering yet. The first 10% is his. You're giving less than 10%. You haven't, you haven't, you haven't even caught up to your delinquencies yet. Offerings are above and beyond that. And say, well, tithes are in the Old Testament. No, they're not. We find them in the New Testament too, and there's a whole study we get into tithing. I'll spare you that in this, in this particular run through. <laughs> Bring ye all the tithes in the house that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. You know, I personally have the belief that God every day finds a new way to ask you a question. But it's always the same question. Do you trust me? That's what really God is after. He doesn't need your money. He's the God of the universe. But he is looking for your trust. He is looking for your trust. Let's move on. Back to Nehemiah 13, verse 15. In those days saw I and Judah some treading wine presses on the Sabbath. Oh my goodness. And bringing in sheaves and loading asses. And also wine, grapes, figs, and all manner of burdens which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I testified against them in the day wherein they sold victuals. Now understand, they were under the law. They were under the, 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 uh, the Torah. 
Verse 16, there dwelt men of Tyre also therein, which brought fish and all manner of ware, and sold on the Sabbath unto the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said unto them, What evil thing is this that ye do and profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers thus? And did not our God bring all this evil upon us and upon this city? Yet ye bring more wrath upon Israel by profaning the Sabbath. His point is, hey, we just got through spending our lives rebuilding a city after seven years of being in rubble and was brought down because we were doing the very thing you guys are doing. Wake up! It came to pass when the gates of Jerusalem began to be dark before the Sabbath, I commanded the gates should be shut and charged that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. And some of my servants said I at the gates that there should be no burden be brought in on the Sabbath day. So the merchants and sellers of all kind of ware lodged without Jerusalem once or twice. Then I testified against them and said unto them, Why lodge ye about the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands upon you. <laughs> this guy Nehemiah is a piece of work. <laughs> I have a feeling if I was casting a movie, I'd need John Wayne to play Nehemiah somehow. You know? If you do so again, I will lay hands upon you. From that time forth, they came no more on the Sabbath. He made his point, apparently. And I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves and that they should come and keep the gates to sanctify the Sabbath day. Remember me, O my God, concerning this also, and spare me according to the greatness of thy mercy. In those days also I saw a Jews that had arrived, excuse me, that had married wives of Ashdod, of Ammon, of Moab. And their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod, and could not speak in the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. And I contended with them and cursed them, and invoked the curse that God had born. He didn't make his own curses, but anyway. Uh, smote certain of them and plucked off their hair. Wow, I smote certain of them and plucked off their hair. Ooh. And made them swear by God, saying, Ye shall not give your daughters unto their sons, nor take their daughters unto your sons or for yourselves. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Nehemiah. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.